Welcome to another edition of What the Cross Means to Me devotional program. This is your host, Rob Holt, coming to you from Chico Life Radio. It is good to be with you as we contemplate fresh perspectives on the meaning of the cross. I am not a theologian, but a photographer of over 30 years. If a picture tells a thousand words, then yes, I guess you could say I preach to the glory of our Creator by capturing, illustrating, and sharing what the Creator has created. My mission is to share the gospel through my imagery, the spoken word, and the written word. This radio program fulfills the spoken part, and the imagery utilized for this devotional are of a singular cross on a lonely hill shot over a two-year period. The written word for this program is from a book I published about that cross collection. It matches 30 cross images with 30 original essays from a wide spectrum of Christian leaders sharing their insights on the cross. The book shares the same name as this program, What the Cross Means to Me. Each week, I share a devotional inspired by the name of one of those cross images and ponder the wider meaning of the cross through the lens of Scripture. This episode's devotional is The Majesty. This image is a close-up, or better stated, an up-close and wide-angle image of the cross covering most of the frame with the background in a deep mix of rose and lavender cloud colors filling the entire sky. The area the lower area around the cross is full of late summer yellow grass as this was a pre-construction shot meaning before they broke ground on the campus that was eventually built there. Now, what on earth or in our awareness of it can be considered majestic in comparison to what? And if we agree that only God can be considered as truly majestic compared to his creation, can we as humans actually adequately contemplate the true or full majesty of God? We as frail humans, whether we use advanced meditative techniques like the apathetic method or simple meditation and simple contemplation, we conclude that we cannot adequately define what or who God is. How then could we ever assume we could measure the length, width, or depth of God's love or His majesty? Especially according to the dictionary definition of measure, which is exact amount, quality of, and especially value of. I mean, even if we could calculate the size and dimension of God's majesty, then how would we be able to quantify the quality of his majesty? How can we define the quality if we do not have any true baseline, if we do not have anything to compare it to or to compare it against? Moreover, how then can we appropriately define the value of God's majesty, if we use a construct like money, it is futile to assign a cash approximation. Even if we use, say, gold, our ability to assign a value comes up short. Even if we could barter with all the gold found on earth, or even all the gold we could find in the universe, we would come up short. Concepts like God, His heart, and especially his majesty, is beyond our ability to comprehend 
or any man-made attempts to define. Therefore, we need to designate an application in and from our everyday life. So how do we measure God's majesty? Do we start with depth? If so, do we begin on terra firma? And if so, how do we continue past the magma layer and what happens at the core of the planet? Do we keep going to the other side of the globe? Or do we start in the oceans? Really? Scientists say that more than 80% of our ocean is unmapped, unobserved, and unexplored. So, if we, a finite species, cannot understand the majority of the ocean, how then can we understand the depth of an infinite being like the creator of all the water on earth and across the universe? How about trying to use a container like a cup? There is a psalm that talks to that. In Psalms 23 we read, The Lord is my shepherd, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Did you hear it? My cup overflows. No matter how large a cup, bucket, container, we try to measure God's majesty, it will run over. How about width? Most might immediately think of using some type of measuring device, like measuring tape. Again, there's a psalm that is applicable. In Psalms 108, we read, My heart is steadfast, O God. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my soul. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake at the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples, and I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your steadfast love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and let your glory be over all the earth. Did you hear it this time? For your steadfast love is higher than the heavens, and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. I am sure a tape measure would be insufficient. Okay, but what if we use time to measure God's majesty? Might there be another way to use some sort of super watch to calculate the length of time that would encompass the majesty of God? I doubt it, but I do have another psalm. Psalm 103:17 says, But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children. Did you catch that one? It's pretty hard to measure everlasting on any type of watch, let alone two. And finally, what about using a compass? You guessed it, I have a psalm for that as well. Psalms 103.12 tells us, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. Wow! What? Let's ponder this for a minute. How far west do I need to go to arrive at east? 
And how far east do I need to travel to arrive at west? Are you seeing it yet? The answer is never and forever. <laughs> if you head west to get east on this globe we call Earth, you will never arrive at east, no matter if you spend eternity trying. Selah. That leaves us with the challenge of calculating the height of God's love and God's majesty. As if we start to measure up past the atmosphere towards and across the expanse of space, the problem is the universe, scientists tell us, is continually expanding. And at the speed of our current technology, we would never catch up to the expanse. Meaning, no matter what, we will always be chasing behind the expanse. Hmm. So, if we can't measure God's majesty with things like measuring cups or measuring tape, time, or space, how then can we quantify or measure God's majesty? I don't know about you, but this humbles me into a paradox of surrender. Meaning, I give up thinking I can. Admitting that I don't have the ability to understand the majesty of the Creator or His process of creation. It reminds me about when God finally addresses Job's questions and concerns. In Job 38, 1-18, God finally responds to Job's pontifications by asking, Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me, if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? Or what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars sang together, and the heavenly beings shouted for joy? Or who shut in the sea with doors? When it burst out from the womb, when I made the clouds its garments, and thick darkness its swaddling band, and prescribed bounds for it, and set bars and doors, and said, Thus far shall you come, and no further and here shall your proud waves be stopped. Have you commanded the morning since your days began, and caused the dawn to know its place, that it might take hold of the skirts of the earth, and the wicked be shaken out of it? It is changed like clay under the seal, and it is dyed like a garment. Light is withheld from the wicked, and their uplifted arm is broken." Have you entered into the springs of the sea, or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been revealed to you? Have you seen the gates of deep darkness? Have you comprehended the expanse of the earth? Declare if you know all this. Wow. So as I mentioned before, if we meditate through advanced meditative techniques like the apathetic method, or just simply think about it through our humble contemplation, we have to come to the conclusions that we do not have the capability to understand the true nature and majesty of God. I mean, how do we really fully, completely understand His omnipresence, His omniscience, and His omnipotence, not to mention His goodness, graciousness, holiness, imminence, immutability, mystery, oneness, righteousness, sovereignty, transcendence, love, and his majesty across infinite and eternal nature. 
And regarding to today's devotional, God's majesty, his deep, unabiding, and unconditional love to lead you to an understanding of what the heart of God is. We could ponder the mystery of the Trinity. The Bible infers that God as a and the God is one-third, is transcendent. He needs nothing to be fulfilled. Now, if God is love, and love is selfless, and if God is selfless, and yet God needs no one but himself, how then can he be loving and transcendent all at once? That is the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity. As St. Bonaventure put it, Within the Trinity, there is one God, a plurality of persons. And from all eternity, and for all eternity, God was loving someone other than himself within himself. Selah. If God is love, did he have to create to love? Or did he choose to, as God has someone to love other than himself inside himself? Again, Selah. Do you really understand this? I do not, other than to admit it is a mystery. All I kind of know is God is love, and God is big, and thus love is big. St. Bonaventure also said, God is the sphere, the center of which is everywhere, and the circumference nowhere. Wow. Again, Selah. It jolts us into a paradox, which is what? A paradox is an apparent contradiction that speaks to a deeper truth, which takes us to deeper truth. Let's try. If God is omnipresent, then love is all around us all the time. Yes? How can I understand that? Full understanding is not what is consequential. We simply need to be aware of it and or look for it and then humbly receive and pass on this love. The majesty and the essence of God is a mystery. A mystery that leads to acceptance instead of intellectual surety. An acceptance of what I read Erwin Lutzer wrote one time when he said, not trying to fully understand an accurate definition of God or the measure of God's love, but an acceptance that The cross opens a window into the heart of God and for him through that window to focus on us. One huge differentiator of the Jewish and Christian perspectives of God is coming to and for us. Meaning most religions teach how to attain enlightenment with oneness and seeking God and in God by certain steps and actions on a journey to God for him to accept a particular seeker. The Judeo-Christian perspective teaches that we were separated from the friendship with God that Adam and Eve allowed to end with that bite of the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And yet, God longed to restore a right relationship by closing the huge gap between us. God's heart longed for this so much that he provided a way to bridge the gap through the sacrifice of his only son on the cross. John 3.16 states, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. 
How does one measure this kind of love? I'm not sure about you, but I'm okay with saying, I don't know. And it reminds me of an essay I read by Henry Blackaby. And it's funny in a good way because Henry starts off where I just left off. He admits that no words or phrases could adequately describe or express what the cross means to him. He states that the verse that has affected him most is 1 Corinthians 1, 23-24, in which it states, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, or Gentiles, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. Abbreviated, Henry interprets it as, Christ crucified, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. The meaning of that phrase, and the contemplation of the deepest and fullest meaning of the cross, I resonate with this hunger as it was not just photography that kept calling me back to that actual white wooden cross on that ridge. Jesus instructed his disciples to pray in their prayer room, which, in my mind, I envision a prayer closet. However, during that phase of my life, this ridge summit with its ever-expansive sky and a real cross, an actual wooden cross right before me to consider was where I yearned to be. And overall, Henry Blackby leaves the answer in his essay that I read away from his own personal insights from the inspiration of God's word in the Bible. When he references Luke 6.38, we read, Give, and it will be given to you a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. Similarly, we see in Matthew 7.2, Quote, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Romans twelve sixteen reveals what Paul wrote. Do not be wise in your own estimation, but be of the same mind towards one another. In other words, we admitted we can't measure the love or majesty of God, but we have to be careful of also how we measure ourselves against God and against others, as well as how you measure the value of those in your circle of influence. I see a few verses that pique my interest on this topic. In Luke 14, 28, we see a new concept to keep in mind. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't sit down first and measure the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? Okay, but what about those who build? What then? What are we willing to give up to achieve, accumulate, and advance our lives towards something of significance, something beneficial to the kingdom of heaven? King Solomon was contemplating this as we read in Ecclesiastes 2.11, quote, Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had told to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun, unquote. which correlates with Paul's conclusion in Philippians 3 7. But whatever gain I had, I measure it all as worthless because of what Christ has done. What I feel this is leading us towards is found in Romans 8 32. If God did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? 
And this verse seems to infer that a major part of God's plan was to give us all, was through the gift of his son. His son he had to abandon on and through the cross. My hunch is that this thirst for the deep meaning of the cross is what has been leading me on to share my talents for the kingdom of heaven. I also remember in Henry Blackaby's essay that I wrote, he talked about when he was at seminary, he wrote a research paper that changed his school life and shaped his entire future. It was during the process of deeply studying the cross that he realized that it was the cross itself that was the measure of God's majesty and love, how it overshadows all the varying and central concepts of humankind. The cross reveals the measure of God's majesty and love for man, translating to the great plan of salvation. It highlights the seriousness of sin, and yet the cross's complete victory of power over sin. And most important, the ability to live in the fullness of new life for each of us individually and for all mankind, all of which is attributed to the cross of Christ and his resurrection. This paradigm, this perspective, this understanding affects every aspect of my marriage and family. It has shaped my entire ministry and permeated all of my relationships and ultimately my interaction with all the aspects of the world that I lived through. Henry said that it affected every aspect of his marriage and family. It has shaped his entire ministry and permeated all of his relationships and ultimately his interaction with the aspects of the world he lives in and through. And here's the kicker. The cross revealed to him the measure of God's love, Jesus' love, which became the measure of Henry's love meaning across his entire life, the measure of God's love and majesty became the constant measure of Henry's love to all others. How do I interpret this perspective? Well, I consider that all our feeble, frail, and finite minds could access is that God has given us his everything, his all, and that the cross is the measure of how we, if we choose to give our all to those that God places across our path every moment of every day. Mark 4.24 comes to mind when Jesus said, with the measure you use, they'll be measured to you. So if God gave his love and forgiveness to us, then why would we not want to give forgiveness and love to those God has placed in our lives? I am not sure that this is a love we have the capacity to measure but we can experience it. We can feel that love every day. And when we feel God's love for us, we can share it with others and it will never run out. We will be so full of love that it overflows from us. It reaches far beyond us. It has always been with us and will always be with us. Allow me to wrap up this devotion by quoting Ephesians 3, 18-19. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that suppresses knowledge and understanding so that you may be filled with the fullness of God. And when you accept and live this first, then the measurement is how you fill others with the fullness of God. Isaiah 6, 3 chronicles the angels of heaven 
calling out, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. They did not say that there is a codex to decode, nor did they infer God's glory is hidden in a canyon, only visible above the clouds or on the top of a particular mountain peak. Paul tells us in Romans 1, 20, quote, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. God's wonderful display of creation is right there in front of us and all around us. It has been across the generations since Christ's ascension. Just a small percentage of people are actually paying attention. Most are purposely ignoring it. It was what I loved most when I fell into photography as a young adult. And even before Verna went to be with the Lord, I received the most satisfaction, capturing and sharing God's creation. And no, not from idolizing nature, but saying to people through my images, Look! Look at the majesty of God! Seen beyond the traditional description of nature, sky, water, forest, mountains, etc., to the joy of a laughing baby or the loving eyes of a puppy. Where you could see the majesty of a church from the Middle Ages crafted by a master stonemason. Or a nativity scene built by a child in his class. The majesty of God can be found in a choir worshiping, preacher preaching, or an intercessor praying. To me, all of these speak to the majesty of God. When I found the cross on this ridge, it felt like I was given a glimpse into the art studio of the Creator. I had a 360-degree horizon view of the heavens. I was fortunate to see the most majestic skyscapes that many times became a spiritual and not just a physical observation. Many times I recall asking myself, is anyone else seeing this? I wondered how many looked but yawned and returned to their focus of driving their cars or washing their dishes. It was just a quick question juxtaposed against my reaction to the fleeting and majestic art that God had just painted in the sky. But, you know, this is not really what I or Paul is saying. The beauty we see in animals, nature, and other humans is only a small iceberg sliver above the waterline. The glory of our Creator is all around us, and nature simply reminds us not to forget it. Jesus said in Luke 17, 21, The kingdom of God is in your midst. Later in the same chapter, he added, God's kingdom is within you. Never forget that Jesus provided the key to the kingdom when he said, You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Just as I look to the sky for an amazing sunset, you can look inside and dwell with Jesus at any time of any day just by asking. Ask Jesus to dwell in you today. Yes, you can walk, live, and move in the truth of this gospel. Just believe it and apply it today. If you are having a hard time with these concepts, let me encourage you to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten you around these perspectives today. And read the Bible more, not just read it like a manuscript, 
but take the time, make the time to meditate and contemplate on the light of these eternal and liberating truths today. And with that, go in grace and may God keep you in his perfect peace. Thanks for listening to What the Cross Means to Me, devotional program heard every week on Life Radio. If you'd like to view the image discussed, like this essay's image, The Majesty, along with the other inspirational imagery we create, then check out Verspiration on Instagram. And if you'd like to view the cross-based products, hear other cross-podcasts, then log on to RobbieHolt.com. That is R-O-B-B-Y-H-O-L-T.com. <laughs>